Are you one of the three quarters of people struggling with a fear or anxiety around public speaking? Do you wish you could communicate more effectively, develop more meaningful relationships, grow your business and access greater opportunities? Welcome to Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. In this series, I'll draw on my own experience from terrified teenager to UK award-winning speaker and communications coach, as well as speaking to a number of special guests, all with one object in mind, to help you communicate more effectively. Ready to grow? Let's get started. Hello, everybody. The warmest of welcomes to the Simon Speaks podcast. It's a delight to welcome you to this episode. I'm very pleased to have with me on the show today, Liz Cashin. Liz is a speaker, consultant, trainer, and author on mental health and well-being. Through the crucible of her own adversity and significant challenges that she's faced, she's developed the courage to share her own story and help other people to discover that suffering is surmountable. She has delivered a TEDx talk in Norwich in 2019, and she's also the author of the newly updated book, This Is Me. Liz, welcome to the show. It's a delight to have you. And uh, I wonder if you'd begin by giving us a little bit of, of your background and some of your story, if you would. Hmm. Well, thank you for the introduction, and it's great to be with you uh, on the podcast today. Yeah, it's it was quite a journey, really. My my book is This Is Me, My Journey to Mental Wellbeing, and it really has been quite a journey. And it started really back in childhood, as a lot of these things often do. Um, I had a an abusive home environment. I had a, a stepdad who who drank too much alcohol with his increase in drinking, came his increase in temper, and I was often on the receiving end of that. So it was a very insecure uh, uh, setting as my as my home life back then. What that meant, because often what children do is they take things to be about themselves. That's what that's what I know you're some of the work that you do. You understand that is that children will often blame themselves rather than blame the adult in their life. And so I took that to be that there was something wrong with me that there was a reason why I kept getting all this uh, abuse was that I was doing something wrong. And so I try really hard to get things right. You know, I'd try and be a good girl, the perfect child. And of course, it never worked because it was never about that. And I, you know, the cycle would continue, but I, then I would try even harder. And the reason why I'd, I wanted to give you that sort of background context was then I experienced a major trauma when I was 13. And, and having already had that background context sort of meant that some of those key messages landed very deeply in me. Um, I took part in a school sports day event. I was throwing the javelin. And when I took my throw, unfortunately, two of my classmates were standing on the field to measure the throw. And when I threw the javelin veered off at the last minute and, and hit my friend in the head. And four days later, she died in hospital from her injuries. It was as horrific as it sounds. Um, as the 13 year old, I was just in tremendous shock. I, I couldn't process what was happening. I couldn't understand what was happening. And back then, which was in the eighties, there was no help at all. So I didn't get any counseling, no professional help which is incredible by today's standards. Um, I think it proves the power of resilience, human resilience, that I did actually survive and get through that, that, that period where 
you know, my stepdad wouldn't let me mention my friend's name in the house. So I couldn't even talk about it at home. I was sort of stuck with me and my mind, which was deeply traumatized. But I used to write letters to my friend, um, which a therapist many years later told me was the best thing I could have done because I was able to sort of express how I felt um, and get those feelings out, even though I knew those letters would never be posted. I, I sort of took some comfort in, in writing them and I was able to tell her how sorry I was. Um, and, and that's the thing, I just took the whole responsibility of that on myself. You know, I already thought there was something wrong with me. And now I felt I had incontrovertible proof that I was evil. Uh, you know, there was something inherently wrong with me. And as a result, that I deserve to be punished. And so unconsciously, I then found many different ways to punish myself. I first of all thought I was going to go to prison when it first happened. Uh, and I was interviewed by the police. And that was all, you know, so terrifying as the 13 year old. But what I couldn't really grasp at that point was the school's responsibility you know it the, the, my friend should never have been put on the field in that way it should never have been allowed to happen but as a 13 year old I, I couldn't grasp any of that I I just felt like you know I'd thrown the javelin and she was dead uh, case closed you know for me it was as, it was as clear as that so the impact of that was that then I carried that guilt that shame that blame for over 30 years um, and it was just four years ago I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder so that was over 30 years from the event and it for me it explained everything that I'd been living through all that time um, I'd been in chaos in my mind I'd been mentally unwell at times I'd been misdiagnosed with depression from time to time but suddenly I realized post-traumatic stress disorder was what I had you know part of my mind was literally frozen back on the school field and I needed you know specialist trauma help to help me to um, come to terms with it and to realize that the school had that responsibility so that's part of my journey in, in a nutshell and, and so you've got to this point somewhere along your journey where I, I suppose you you must have awakened at some point to the fact you you had a decision to make which was that I either allow this adversity and this this emotion that I'm dealing with to consume me and to occupy the rest of my life or I make a choice to to face it and, and work through and have that resilience and to perhaps use the experience that I've been through as a as a tool and a gift to help others who might be experiencing the same kind of pain mm. and that's why obviously I, I imagine your TEDx talk was born and, and hence the title mm. and, and it's wonderful that, that I, I, listen, I interview so many people and and one of the threads that binds them all together is the fact that they they had a moment like that in their lives where they're presented with two roads one taking them to a forever dark place and one taking them out into the the, the light and I know it sounds very easy and very clear cut and I imagine it wasn't but can you put your finger on anything in your life that made you decide to use what you'd been through as as an opportunity to help others rather than let it consume you mm -hmm. well I it it kind of started in my late 20s um I was 
I was on a sales training course at work, which is, you know, the strangest of places to sort of have a personal awakening. But I'd had to read the book, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Del Carnegie. It was a Del Carnegie sales training course. And in it, it said, think and act positively and you will become positive. And, you know, we can say these statements all the time quite glibly. But for me, it was just something really struck me with it. I, was, I thought, because up to that point, you know, I had been punishing myself by that point for 15 years. I'd actually been taking a lot of drugs up to that point uh, in my 20s to just escape the pain. You know, my life was just spiraling out of control. I was on a, I literally was on that a one-way path to self-destruction. Um, and then I, out of nowhere, had this glimpse of hope. I thought, Wow. So suddenly it wasn't that all this stuff was happening to me, that I could take control, that actually I had a choice and that I could start to change my thoughts, change how I felt and, and change my experience of life. And so that was a it was a it was a, a personal awakening. And just realizing that I had that choice was sort of opened a door to me that was closed before. So that was sort of the start of it. But I did then make that I then committed to making that choice for myself. So that was, you know, people might hear that think, oh, yes, and then just, you know, turn away from it. But I really sort of grasped it and started to um, commit to it. And even that day that I'd done it in the training, I went home and I was uh, sharing a house at that point with my housemate Lisa and I went in and she said how are you and I said oh I'm exhausted you know we'd say this all you know we get in from work oh you know it's been a long day and I said wait wait I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna come back in again and she looked at me like I'd gone mad she said okay so I went out and came back in and she said how are you Liz and I said you know I've just been on this amazing training and I've learned some really great things and you know I am feeling a bit tired and you know this was such a great day and I it was like because I went home and put it into practice straight away and I realized that that was the choice I always had you know it had been a long day and I was exhausted but was I going to focus on that or was I going to focus on this great amazing learning that I just had and so you know, it's very simplistic, I'd love to say. And that was it. And I think part of me was naive back then. And I thought, oh, this is it. I've cracked it. You know, I'm just going to think positively and everything's going to be fine. And, uh, you know, that was just the very start of the long journey that's taken me, um, you know, to the present day. But it was the sort of door opener. And then I walked through the door. Mm. I like that a lot. And and I briefly shared some of my own story on the, on the podcast before, but just to briefly let you know, um, when my son was born five years ago, uh, there were moments within that process that uh, I was frightened to lose my, my wife and my son because of complications around the, the birthing process. And, and I, again, struggled with that immensely and, uh, got, got some support for that. And, uh, two of the tools that have really helped me now to, to regulate my own thinking and my own behavior is, is, is two things that I use when I feel myself start to struggle in terms of motivation. It links in with what you've just talked about, which is sometimes you go through an experience or you have a thought process and, and you then have a choice to make. And so when, when somebody asks me sometimes, uh, how are you feeling or what are you up to at the moment? 
sometimes I try to involve the words I'm choosing to. And that lets me know that I'm making the choice to feel that way. Uh, so if somebody says, you know, what are you doing today? I can say, well, I'm choosing to spend some time on social media and that's fine. As long as I know that I've made the choice. And if I waste time, I chose to waste time. And the other one is that, um, whenever I start to struggle in my thought process or I have negative thoughts, I ask myself, uh, two questions. I say, who's telling me this? And often it's my own thoughts or my own negative self-talk. And then the other question I was asking myself is, is whenever I find myself doing something that perhaps I rather wouldn't do, or I find myself doing something that's out of habit, I say, what's the thinking behind that? Mm-hmm. And, and then I go back into my own thoughts. And, and often it stems from negative self-perception or negative experiences that we've had in the past. And uh, my wife is, is quite good at this as well in terms of she'll, she'll get herself so far down a road and then I'll, I'll have to stop the broken record and, and we'll have to work on it together to say, who's telling you this? What's the thinking behind that? What are you choosing here? And as soon as you remind yourself that you have the power, it's quite, a, it's quite an awakening moment. And, and it, it's not perfect from then on, as you've mentioned, but you do certainly have a little bit more control over what is happening to you to an extent. I love that. And that the word you use power, and I think it's our personal power. And that's what we're reclaiming in those moments, because often, like you say, that negative self-talk, and this was the the awakening to that as well. I had no idea there was this whole inner world going on inside my mind that was impacting how I thought, how I felt and how I behaved. And it was sort of opening up to that as well. And how, you know, I start, that's been my journey, really, sort of that inner journey then. And I, you know, and it hasn't been uh, easy or pretty because what I realised well, you know, I realize now that I was the PTSD was inside me. So turning towards that without understanding it was terrifying, to be honest, at times. And I also had this inner abuser voice. You know, it was it was very abusive. It was that punishing voice. And actually, it was my stepdad's voice. I had internalized it, which is, again, what children do without help internalize the abuser because it's safer to abuse ourselves internally than to actually confront the abuser because we're children and that's not a safe thing to do so I had internalized that abuser then the accident had happened and then I had really valid reason in my mind for for abusing myself and so I mean you know I'd be talking to somebody like you and this inner abuser would be shouting abuse in my head at me and at you and I'd be trying to you know oh yeah and have a conversation and you know it was I look back and I think, oh, it was, you know, it was awful. It was just so, so challenging. And it was the path to personal freedom. You know, that's if, if you if I wanted to be happy and have peace of mind, which I, back then was just a concept. You know, I had no grasp of what that actually meant. I was so far removed from it. But if I wanted that, then I knew it had to be this inner journey and this sort of inner exploration and you know, it's, it's led me on an incredible journey, really. It's been a, an holistic journey of mind, body and spirit, you know, and I, I had another sort of awakening when I was in India, which I mentioned in my TEDx talk, um, where somebody offered to give me Reiki while I was on the beach. Now, I had no idea what, and some people might not know that listening to the podcast, but it's a form of energy healing. And it was just somebody else said to me, can I give you a Reiki session? It was another traveler. And I, I said, I've no idea what, what you're talking about. And she said, well, it sounds a bit strange if I explain it, but if you just have to lie down fully clothed for an hour, it's really relaxing. And I, you know, I was open to new experiences. So I thought, 
okay, I, you know, I'll give it a whirl. Thinking sounds a bit weird. Uh, but I was staying in this wooden hut on a beach in South India. So the, I could hear the waves, you know, it was, it was idyllic. It was just absolutely perfect. And she started to give me this Reiki session. Uh, she didn't even put her hands on me. So I was just lying there. And I suddenly started to feel bliss. I mean, real bliss. I'd, I'd had moments, I'd, you know, taken a lot of ecstasy, as I said before. And I'd had uh, sort of falsely created ecstasy moments through the drugs. But this was no drugs. I hadn't actually taken drugs at all when I had this experience. Um, and it, so it took me by surprise. I just felt so blissful, so peaceful and sort of so connected for the first time in my life that um, it was it was powerful and that that sort of opened me up to a whole other world you know a whole other holistic perspective and at the end of it I was like what was that <laughs> and so you know I got very curious then I would then became sort of on this mission to find out more about what what my experience had been and how could I recreate it um, and I just was almost on a mission it almost became a new addiction to try and get that feeling back um, until I realized that that was what I was doing and, you know, started to bring things more back into a, a balanced place. Mm. So there's been sort of moments, different moments of awakening um, throughout the journey, but that one was profound. And I think because it was so unexpected, because I had no idea what she was doing, and I'd been closed off to religion before that because I was christened Catholic. Um, but when the accident happened, you know, one of the commandments is thou shalt not kill. And to me... I thought well, it doesn't say it's okay if it was an accident. It just says thou shalt not kill. And so our, my deepest fear was if I died, I was going straight to hell and that was it. And so I'd really rejected religion for fear of this punishing God. And then suddenly out of the blue, I had this connection to something which was bigger than me, but you know, I was connected to it and there was no religious dogma. There was no nothing. There was just this experience. And so it was very clean the experience and so that's why for me it's uh yeah I sort of trust that experience because because I'd never even heard of Reiki or anything to do with energy healing or even spirituality before that moment mm. so it, it's a really interesting experience you, you relate and um it, it resonates with me because I, I grew up in a Christian family and for, for a while growing up I was always terrified of, of doing anything that would be considered a sin um mm -hmm. because one of the words that obviously that we use in english to, to describe it is repentance and, and repentance yes. comes from initially when you actually study into it it comes from greek and hebrew and and the greek and hebrew words are lovely because they mean things like turn your heart back or uh, mm -hmm. a turn of attitude or characteristic but the problem is when the bible got retranslated and we got latin involvement that's where the pound of flesh imagery came from so now in English, we talk about this kind of punishment that you've described previously. And I was talking to somebody fairly recently, which, which kind of consolidated this memory. And he said uh, he'd, he'd been in Germany when he was doing some, some work around uh, the, the Christian and studying with the Bible. And, and somebody said uh, the German word for, for repentance, this, this image, is, is umkehr. And, and in German, umkehr just means turn around. Mm. And I just think, isn't that beautiful? And, and we've, we've, as English, taken it from Latin, we've corrupted the meaning of such a beautiful word into something that really denotes negativity and punishment. And whereas in so many other languages, it just means turn around, make a choice, start again. And I just think 
for years of my life, I, I lived in fear, thinking that there was this, like you say, punishing God. And, and now I try to imagine that God feels about me or whatever God there is up there feels about me the same way I feel about my children. You know, mm-hmm. when they make a mistake, I, my arms are open and I want them to come running and I want to tell them it's going to be fine and we can fix it. And I, I hope that that's what it feels like. But, you know, we have to go on faith sometimes in these things, don't we? But it's a fascinating thing to think about. That's so beautiful. And I think that was another stage in my journey, actually, was was realising that there was these traumatised inner child parts of me that I had rejected. I had turned my back on these parts. Uh, I had judged them. I had blamed them. And actually part of my journey, my inner journey, was learning to turn towards those inner parts. So it's very similar with you know me as the adult embracing those traumatized inner child parts of me and with open arms and saying I see you you know I see you and I love you you know and that's the bit that the child me didn't get that as the child and so I was then able it's never too late to do that I know it might sound strange to some people but you know it's when you start that process it's a beautiful process because you realize all these parts I realized just how in fact, I did three weeks in a silent meditation, which was an incredible experience. As a part of that journey and that meditation, I realized how much I hated myself. You know, underneath everything, I hated myself. I had rejected myself. Never mind what anyone else was doing. I was doing that to me. And it was feeling the pain of that in my heart. It was almost like it cracked it open. And then I had started to have compassion, self-compassion. And then you know, that transformed everything. So I used to be so unkind to myself and now I'm in in thoughts and deeds and now I'm so much kinder to myself. But I see in the world so many people are so unkind to themselves Mm. in their thinking, in the way that they're acting. And, you know, so many people at the moment especially are, you know, having a trauma experience through COVID-19 and finding ways to try and numb that, you know, through alcohol or um, food or... um, sex or you know all sorts of different addictions that people are turning to to just sort of numb because they don't understand what's going on and that was me for for so many years and that is actually you know a self-preservation mechanism we're just trying to survive and keep going um but I just you know I really want to let people know that there are other healthier ways that you can open up to and learn to to do and mindfulness and meditation for me was a massive part of that um, journey yeah it's a really astute point and uh, quite often uh, I think about people engaged in, in, in addictions and it, it's something I've dealt with in the past in my own life but also in terms of supporting other people I used to work with an addiction recovery support group and, and I, I came to realize within those experiences that um, addiction is essentially just a transfer of pain because you're, you're experiencing pain in your own life and what you want to do is is numb that pain you're not actually getting rid of it what you're doing is translating the pain into another format and the pain of the addiction and the the effects of the addiction often uh, are worse than dealing with the pain itself so I I really take your point Um, and and I'm fascinated by some of the things that you've expressed particularly around compassion Uh, I say this because I know she's a friend of yours but but I interviewed Madeline Black quite recently and uh, I'm I'm absolutely stunned by your experiences and, and the fact that 
both of you have been through something horrifically traumatic from a place of innocence and both of you have had to confront that as, as good people with no intention to harm anyone and both of you have been through experiences where you've talked about uh, self self-loathing and self-abuse and, and how that projects in your own mind but then both of you have had the courage to confront them over a period of time and then get to a point where you're now able to offer that to us. So I see an awful lot of similarity in, in the things you've beat, but also in the way that you now talk about it. And I think that's okay. extraordinary. Yeah, there's something called post-traumatic growth. I don't know if you've heard of that expression, um, but it's some people who experience trauma, They it sort of breaks them through into a, a whole level of, personal growth and I think for Madeline who is a great friend and inspiration of mine um, and myself that is what happened and it's almost like the pain for me was too much for me to bear that's why I turned to drugs initially I just couldn't I couldn't live with the amount of pain that I was carrying it was just it was it was unbearable and so I found these ways um, to to just to be able to survive in the world but I think then, you know, really, I had a choice. There was this crossroads where I was going to carry on down that self-destructive path to try and keep numbing the pain, which wasn't working, was creating a whole other level of pain. Mm. Or it was almost like the pain was so great, it, it forced me into a breakthrough of finding another way to, to be in the world. And I think that's what's happened to myself and Madeline is, Fortunately, you know, we went through our unhealthy addictions phase, but then we broke through into this level of personal growth. Um, and yeah, it's, there's very often a sort of spiritual aspect to that when people do do that, because it makes you question the meaning, meaning and purpose of life. You know, that was the, some of the big questions I was asking when I was really in despair was why was I born? What is the point to all this? You know, um, why did my friend have to die? You know, why was I involved? You know, what what's what's going on? You know, those bigger questions that we all ask at some point. And it was almost like when I had that Reiki session, I started to get my own answers to those questions that I'd been asking. I started to have my own personal connection to, to something greater than me. And and um and then I started to to think about, okay, looking now from a different perspective of what's happened there's nothing I can do to change what's happened there's nothing I can do but what I can choose to do is to uh, make a difference through everything that I'm learning as a result of what I've been through there's other people who are back there who are struggling and I wish I'd had people to signpost me and I had nobody and so even though it and it does take courage to share those most painful parts of us and, and what we've been through. But I think if it just helps one person to take another step in their own journey to mental well-being and their own recovery um, to their own peace of mind, then it's got to be worth it. Mm. Beautifully expressed. And I, I really do resonate with, with so many of the things that you've, you've said so far. Tell me a little bit more about the work that you're doing now and, and the kind of people that you help and some of the, the challenges that you, you come across in your work. Well, my work, I have sort of different levels. It's all in the area of mental well-being. So I work with organisations. Um, I do speaking, so I speak about my story. Um, but I also do work around mental health awareness, um, how to thrive on a personal level, 
Um, I work with leaders to understand their mental health responsibilities in an organization. So just looking at the whole um, package, there's different different things that I do as well as, you know, uh, consulting, training and coaching. I also um, work with schools uh, and I'd like to do more. I'd like to do more talking to young people because I think so many young people are struggling right now. And I think there's a lot in my journey that hopefully could provide some hope to them, a glimmer of hope um, that they can get through this. And, you know, there are ways that they can um, feel better, uh, even if it's a journey to get there. So that's some of the work, more work. I've, I've worked in speaking to some teachers. So I'd like to, to do more with young, even more with young people. Mm. Um, and then I do, I've got my book. So I, you know, I speak in uh, wellbeing festivals and anywhere where people will uh, invite me in just to share those, you know, key lessons that I've learned. And I do some workshops, training programs and uh, individual coaching around that as well. Wonderful. And and as we discussed in, in the prelude to the podcast, th- this is a topic that people need now more than ever, especially with, with everything that's happening in the world. And, and I don't know how long it will take for us to see the fallout of it, but I don't imagine that uh, it will be an easy fix or a short-term fix. And I think things like mental health support and counselling and coaching are going to become precious commodities uh, for people that are, are trying to overcome the, the challenges that are that are being faced here and I see that especially in my work with young people because I I do work in schools a lot and uh, yeah they they are a very vulnerable group of people and and some of them it will probably take a very long time for them to process Mm -hmm. what it is that's happened to them in some of their formative years Uh, yeah I want to ask you a little bit if I if I can about uh, what it is that you now that now that you're able to have an overview of your journey and mm-hmm. and pro, you've managed to process a little bit more about about what happened to you have you ever have you ever wished that things had turned out another way or do you ever look back and think no as as awful as that was it's turned me into who i am what what are your thoughts on it now looking back i i think for me it's this one, it, I, I can absolutely say that I wish it hadn't happened because my friend would still be alive. I can't, I can't see that any other way. You know, I wish that she was still with her family and, and still here in the world. I think I, as a result, because I couldn't change that, if I, if I could change that, that's what I'd want. I'd want her back in the world. But what I uh, am glad is that I've chosen to make a difference through what I've learned and I think that's the thing that um you know gives me meaning and purpose and helps me with my own mental well-being is being able to to use what I've learned uh to help other people Mm. absolutely no it's a great a great point you make and uh, I suppose it's dealing with the impossible isn't it trying to yeah answer a question like that yeah in terms of going forward into the future now, I, I know that you've mentioned that uh, you plan to do a second TEDx talk. And if, if people haven't seen the first one, they need to get out of the cave and watch it. <laughs> absolutely, uh, I was very moved by it. And uh, I know you and Madeline did your first ones fairly close together and you, you're conspiring to do second ones. Um, I need to get on this, this by the way. Uh, yes, you do. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try. I will try. 
What What are the plans that you have coming up? Do you have anything that you're working on? Anything that you're looking forward to in the coming uh, the coming time? I'm doing a lot at the moment around uh, mental health in organisations, and actually. I am really enjoying that because I'm training people within organizations to then be the sort of advocates within organizations. So I think, you know, anything there which is challenging the stigma and helping to change the culture and really, you know, getting people more connected, getting people kinder to each other, just really transforming the way we are with each other. That um, really lifts me up. I've got some great speaking things coming up, which is um, for women's networks. It's about women really owning their power and I think you know that's also been part of my journey is just really reclaiming my personal power so I'm excited about um, those talks coming up as well. Well people who work in organisations or schools or have anything to do with the mental health or well-being of their organisations need to get you on board quite simply because I mean I know you quoted this statistic in your text talk but I take it quite quite close to heart as an example that uh, Suicide is the, is the biggest cause of, of death in men under 50. And I think the last breakdown I looked at, West Yorkshire, where I'm living, has the highest rate in the UK. So as a man under 50 in West Yorkshire, statistically mm-hmm. speaking, I am on the watch list, so to say. And uh, it's close to home for me because I, I, I have been through experiences in my life and I have experienced what depression feels like. Um, but very luckily, I've had people around me who were able to spot signs and were able to point me in the right direction. And I, and I have worked with therapists and counsellors. And, and that, that for me was quite a huge step because my even my father was from a generation where you provided for your family, you got on with it and you didn't cry and you sucked it up and got, and, and got on. So yeah. it, it's, I, I feel like I've been a little bit of a chain breaker for my, for my generations of my family because I'm the first one that's really admitted to having emotions. Uh, and you know, people need to be aware of these things and realize that just because, you know, you're able to get out and speak to people or you're able to run a podcast or hold down a job, it doesn't mean that you're infallible. Um, so it's there's so no shame. And I did, I did um, a mental health awareness training with guys on a building site um, a couple of years ago. And we got, it was a hot day. We were in a porter cabin. I arrived, two of them were on the floor because there weren't enough chairs. I was sort of squished in at the front and I just thought, oh, my goodness, you know, I, I, I and the, the first thing they said was we want to go home. <laughs> I thought, OK, just try and keep it upbeat, you know, um, you know, keep it as engaging as possible and let them go as soon as possible, because it was hot. And we were in this really confined space. So I, you know, ran the session and um, some of some of the guys that English wasn't their first language, they were talking to each other. And I thought oh, I dreaded to think what they were saying to each other, you know, and I carried on the session. And then at the end of the session, we had the feedback forms, gave out the feedback forms, God gave it back. Most, it was nearly all 10 out of 10 and um, for everything. And one of them had said, uh, this training with Liz can really help men like me not to suffer in silence. And I actually cried when I read it. And I thought it was a real lesson for me not to make assumptions uh, you know, those guys in the room are struggling with their mental health as much as anybody else is, you know, where none of us are infallible, but they had to have the banter. They had to pretend that, oh, you know, mental health, we want to go home. And actually, they they really absorbed it all. And, you know, it had a big impact on them. 
So I totally agree. I think it's very tough for guys who are brought up in environments like you where big boys don't cry, man up, you know, all of this. And this is only our recent past and it's still for some people they're present. Uh, and it takes courage then because you've been conditioned not to do it. So there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of guilt. You know, if you start, oh, I'm going to be weak. People are going to perceive me in a different way. So it does take courage. But well done you for breaking that chain in your family. And then you're guiding, you know, it can be the light for other guys to start to talk about it. We've all got mental health. That's it. We've all got it. And we all struggle from time to time. If we can just get over the, the, the preconditioning and start to talk more about it and normalise it, uh, the sooner the better. Well, I, I always like the way that Prince Harry talked about it previously when he was doing uh, Heads Together, when, when he essentially said mental health is the same as physical health. If you have a, a physical health condition that's plaguing you and it goes on for a long time, you'll go to the doctor about it because it's not right. He said yeah. you know, mental health is the same. If you have pain in your mind that, that lasts for a long time, then you need to go and get some support with it. And, and it sounds that simple, but uh, you know, there, there are places that you, you can go and lines you can go in the Samaritans as, as an example, but you might be fortunate enough to know somebody who knows somebody that, that can help. But I think looking for help and, and really taking advantage of that is key. So certainly if anybody's listening to this, that, that is of that mindset, at the very least, reach out to me or this on the contact details. And, and if we can't help then we'll point you to someone who can. Definitely. And there's so much online. You can research uh, charities like Mind have loads of great free stuff on their website. They've got helplines. You know, there's there's a lot out there now. There's apps you can download, meditation, mindfulness apps. There's so much you can do to help yourself, even if you're stuck in lockdown. You can do that. And that was a big part of my journey was educating myself and taking responsibility for that, as well as getting the professional support that I needed. This has been absolutely wonderful. What a joy it's been. How can people get in touch with you, Liz? What are the best ways for people to contact you? Well, I'm lucky my name is unusual. So Liz is with an S, Liz, Liz Cashin. So LizCashin.com or any of the social media handles at Liz Cashin. Yeah, I, my, my name's a bit too common, so I couldn't get my own name. I had to go <laughs> slightly different and with underscores and things to try and get it. So we've done well on that one. <laughs> what we'll do is we'll put all of your details into the show notes uh, so that people can can access the website and, and contact you from from this podcast uh, and we'll obviously just echo that call again if, if you do need support with your mental health if you are feeling certainly during covid as we are recording this or post covid that you you need some extra support then you know do reach out to myself or liz and if we can't help then we'll point you to someone who can, uh, but please do that and make sure that you uh, you get on board with that and recognize that you're not alone in your, your mental health struggles. But it just yeah. remains for me to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for, for this opportunity because it's been such a, a wonderful conversation and, and I continue to be inspired uh, by people like you who, who experience things that nobody should really ever have to experience, but you turn it into something beautiful. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Simon. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. I hope that what you've learned in today's episode will help you become a more effective communicator as you put it into practice. You can visit my website, simonspeaks.co.uk for more information, tips, articles and resources, or to speak to me about working with me as a coach. I'm also available on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Simon Speaks 
I'm on LinkedIn and I also have a YouTube channel. Just search for Simon Speaks. Thanks again for tuning in today and I look forward to seeing you again next time.